I don't know if that's ever happened before. Is something we say a lot around here. It's just preparing us for, you know, we, we have a, um, we have an open, loving community who um, accepts uh, all sorts of people from all sorts of stories and all sorts of backgrounds. And we're just preparing us for our first holy roller. We're going to get one at one point, and that's going to happen. And you all need to just, you know, relax, and we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, and we, we, yeah, that's fantastic. I, I love, you know what? You want to play a game of chase during church? That's fine. We're good. We're good. That's how rumors get started. So I am... Uh, I'm a big fan of this 316. 2 Timothy 316 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, I think it's one that we um, can misuse from time to time and make it serve us instead of convict us. And anytime the Bible serves you instead of convicts you, or um, I think you're probably using it wrong. Uh, but I... I, I um, it, it is a deep one. It's a deep verse that has a lot of layers to it. And you'll find in life group um, that you might get stuck, I think, on the second question. And if you do and you go 30 minutes on the second question, you don't have to finish all the questions. Um, those, that's not a rule. Those, are, those questions are suggestions. If someone comes up with a better question, you go for it. Um, but in life group, you'll find that what does it mean for Scripture to be God-breathed? It's an interesting phrase he uses here. It's, an, it's a phrase that's not very common in Scripture. Um, and it, it's, it's hard. Uh, and some people will have different takes on it. I, I, throughout my life, have had many different takes on what God-breathed means. I've had many different opinions. Um, you'll have to come to my life group to figure out what exactly that means there. But First Corinthians, or First Timothy, Second Timothy, man, oh, one... One for three, just there. That's tough. Second Timothy 3, and we'll start in verse 14, says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Now, remember, he's talking to one guy here, Timothy. He's telling him, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you have known. You know those uh, from whom you learned it. Now, this is kind of an important deal. And it'll be important for you in just a second. But Timothy should continue in what he learns because he knows the people from whom he's learned it. And that's why Paul thinks that he needs to continue in it is because he's aware of who the people are who taught it to him. Now, if you'll go back to the earlier parts of Timothy, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, you'll find that Timothy didn't learn it always just from Paul, but from his mother and from his grandmother. And that we have a long history of learning things from people. Have you ever been around someone long enough? And then one day you look up and you go, oh, I'm doing that thing my mother did. Have you ever been around just got to meet somebody and you think, oh, they're a neat person. All of a sudden you kind of pick up some of their language. 
we pick up from all sorts of different people. Authors we respect. Teachers we respect. Musicians and poets, and maybe not a lot of you poets. That part of that sermon is for if I ever preach it up north. Poets. <laughs> maybe you, maybe you, you like a certain athlete, or they, people. People affect you, and what you learn from people often intrinsically, without knowing, can shape who you are. And so, it's actually really important to identify who you're learning things from. That way, you aren't always just taking in whatever it is the next thing is without subjecting it to some scrutiny. But Timothy should continue in what he has learned because of who he learned it from. That counts Paul. That counts his mother and his grandmother. He goes on in verse 15, and this is what you've learned. And how from in infancy... Next, next slide, please. How from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation in, uh, through faith in Christ Jesus. And then verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay, if you notice, uh, the, the Greek people do this interesting thing where they'll... The first thing they say is like the last thing they say. And then the second thing they say is like the second to last thing they say. They call it a chiastic. It just it works its way in and then works its way out. Again, like poetry, it's like A and A prime, B and B prime kind of work that way in. Um, again, no? Okay, well, we'll just, hey, it's fun. It's poetry and he, he's, he's writing poetry here in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and Training, rebuking, and correcting. Those, those two line up like that. And he just wants to emphasize how important Scripture is for these purposes. Go to the Bible to do your correcting. Go to the Bible to do your teaching. Go to the Bible to do any rebuking you have. And go to the Bible to do any training that's necessary. Listen, we, we, we open this Every week, every week we open the Bible and, and try to learn from Scripture. And it can be difficult sometimes because the Bible's hard. You've got to remember that the Bible is a translation of, you know, if, if Jesus spoke in Hebrew, they wrote it down in Greek, we translated it into English. They wrote it in the first century, we live in the 21st century, is that correct? Yeah, 21st century. We, we, have, we have some distance from the text. So it takes some work to get in and figure out what, well, what is Paul saying here? Or what did Jesus mean when he said this? Or what, did John, what was John getting at when he talked about that? And we'll find uh, in the first of November when we get to Second Peter, where Peter says, Paul's confusing sometimes. I gave that sermon to John. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a tough passage. The Bible is difficult to understand. 
But I think our problem a lot of times is that we thought the, the goal of the Bible is to understand it. That we think the goal of the Bible is to know it. And yeah, that's helpful. But not a lot of people know who Bildad is. He's an intricate figure in a book of the Bible. He, has, he says more out loud than Joshua does. Probably. I haven't looked that up. It's close. But it built... We, we don't know our Bible a whole lot. Tell me about the problems in the Corinthian church. Put together a Bible quiz every year for our church camp. Last year was the first year that I put it together. It was, it was my job to put the, the quiz together. The kids study a book of the Bible all week at church camp. And at the end, those who wish to, we don't want to make some kid have a panic attack at church camp. Those who wish to take a Bible test get to take a Bible test. And the first year I did it, the second highest grade was like a 72. But Jenny can tell you it was really hard. My nephew made a 104. But he's a genius. But it's a big deal that my nephew missed one. Those of you who know Noah know Noah doesn't miss one. And he missed. It was hard. But it, was, it wasn't about the whole Bible. What's crazy, it was, about a, it was about six chapters of the Bible. And I read the six chapters and said, okay, I'll just get questions. And they were hard. The Bible is tough. And understanding all of Scripture is a Herculean task. They sell commentary sets. You can get a set of commentaries written by one guy. And this one guy wrote a commentary on Genesis and on Daniel and on Malachi and on Acts and on Revelation. One guy. I think one of them is Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry did that a while back. I'm sure there are some excellent Matthew Henry commentaries within that set. But it's hard to find one guy who knows enough to write a commentary about every book of the Bible. Even some of the greatest scholars in the world, Walter Brueggemann and um, N.T. Wright, pick Old Testament and New Testament, pick sections of Scripture to deal with. The Bible is really difficult to know everything about. And when we make the Bible, like when the goal of Scripture is to just to know it, you're going to fail at that. But Scripture can work on you. It can work on your Mondays. It can, scripture can teach you. Now notice we're not talking about Scripture teaching me about Scripture. But it can teach me. It can rebuke me. Have you ever read the story of Jesus? Read the story of Jesus unscathed. Try that one. 
Because there's things Jesus does that I don't do. There's attitudes Jesus has that I don't have. And I'm guessing the same for the rest of us. It can rebuke me. It can correct me. It can train me in righteousness. Now, all of these things are verbs pointing to it can teach me in righteousness. It can rebuke me in righteousness. It can correct me in righteousness. And it can train me in righteousness. And let's go to the next slide because the next slide's important. So that the servant of God, it does all of these things so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think it's very important that you read your Bible. That you get in the scriptures and that you humbly read the text. And it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot. You don't have to dive in and read seven, eight chapters a day. Not even seven, eight verses. You can go to the Psalms and let, let a psalm work on you all day. Just spin it in your head. It is important to read your Bible, but I think the Bible needs, instead of us examining the Bible, the Bible needs to examine us from time to time. So that we can, we can read the text and be affected by it. Not just gain more information about it, but be affected by it so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The reason I can do good things is because I let the word of God work on me. The reason you can do good things is because you let the word of God work on you. When I was a kid, I read the Bible for proof. Not proof that God existed, not proof that Jesus was alive. I read it for proof that I was right. If you're scouring the Bible to collect credits of correctness, you should probably just put it down. It's not meant to be used like that. When I was a kid, my Bible was a magnifying glass. And when I was a kid, like 16, 18, 19. My Bible was a magnifying glass through which I used, through which I studied the world to show, the, to understand why the world was incorrect. I can remember pretty clearly the first time I was reading in the Gospels. It was in Luke. And Jesus was saying, Woe to you, you Pharisees, you teachers of the law. You will cross land and sea to convert a single, or to make a single convert. And you'll make them twice the son of hell that you are. I remember reading that verse and saying, and just hitting me 
Oh, I'm the Pharisee. I'm not Jesus in this story. I'm not even the guy standing off to the side saying, get him, Jesus. I'm the one he's looking at. I'm the one he's pointing at. I'm the one he's convicting. And I hadn't been convicted by that passage before. I could tell you who I thought those people were. The Bible makes a horrible magnifying glass. It makes a wonderful mirror. Where I'm being, I'm being blessed and convicted and corrected and trained up in righteousness so that I can be the servant of God I need to be. I, I need that from the Bible because you know what? My instincts aren't that great. I'm playing fantasy football for the first time ever this season. And John can tell you, because John invited me to be a part of his league. And he's regretting it. I am so bad. I'm just so bad at it. Took me, took me three weeks to figure out that when I would change, I had, I had, no one wants to hear about your fantasy team, but I had Cam Newton as my starting quarterback and he was doing horribly. I thought, I'm going to get him out of there. And I moved him and put another quarterback in. And then I wasn't hitting submit at the bottom of the page. So my team was just staying the same. So I finally figured it out. Uh, Not this past week, but the week before I figured it out. Oh, I got to hit the submit button. So I got Cam Newton out of there. And he did wonderfully. Now that I finally. I think I know things. I don't know anything. In March, you're going to print out a bracket and you're going to write teams in that bracket to see who wins the NCAA tournament. Rachel and I do this. We have a contest every year. It's about 500, right? Split. Or are you winning? You're winning? Okay. She knows nothing about it. Her, her, she just says that's, Let me figure, who has the best record? They win. She beats me most of the time. Like, your instinct isn't fantastic. Every once in a while you think, you know what, I could go for a burger at McDonald's. That's a horrible instinct. You shouldn't trust you. You think that sometimes. And every time afterward, you, you get the big burger, you're like, oh my goodness, did, it, did I eat it or someone just shove it into my kidney? <laughs> All right, let's stand and sing. <laughs> it's, we aren't, we aren't to be trusted with our instincts about just, well, I'm good. I, I, I'm a pretty good person. I, I, I was raised right. The Bible needs to shape you. The Word of God needs to shape you. And you won't know it until you get in it. Listen to it on your car. Read, read it just a little a day. I mean, 
really, you can just say, I'm just, I'm picking a verse. Second Timothy one, three, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Think about that all day. You've got to get in the Bible to let the Bible get in you. You've got to get in the Word to let the Word get in you. And you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be some wise, studious person who figures out the context and, and, and knows, the, knows where Paul was writing from and how that affected what he was saying. Just trust that God will let His Spirit teach you. Just trust that let God will let His Spirit convict you. But I want, but you, you need to let the Spirit use the text. You need to let the Spirit use the text. Hey, Corbin, let's go back one more slide to 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Verse 17 then says, So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now here, here's the little hiccup that we're going to point to in the context. All the scripture they had was the Old Testament. And here specifically, Paul is talking about the Old Testament. Because Paul's writing a letter to Timothy, not scripture. I don't think that particular point really takes us that far because by the end of all this, we've got Scripture. And the Word of God is useful and leads us to salvation. I want to be a people who when we come upon someone else, who needs teaching, who needs rebuking and correcting, who needs to be trained, that we can open our Bibles and, and say, this is how this passage affected me. Maybe it can affect you. This is the way the Bible taught me. This is the way the Bible rebuked me. This is the way the Bible corrected me. And this is the way the Bible is training me. And if, if the Word of God can teach me in that way, then we can use it to teach others. But God have mercy on the one who stands unaffected by the Bible, but teaching it. I, I plan out my sermons quite a ways in advance. For a couple of reasons. One, for the first couple of years of my preaching life, I hated the Monday question of what am I going to preach about this week? I, I didn't run into it a whole lot because I did series, but I need to be prepared. But I found the benefit of it is that for some time, 
I get to think about a passage before I share it with you guys. That I, I get to prepare the sermon not in a skillet but in a crock pot. I get to slow cook it. And hopefully by the time I'm standing here, you're just getting hit by the crossfire between the Bible and my heart. And your life needs to be a slow learning of Scripture, not just so that you will know it, but so that it can, it can teach you, that it can rebuke you, that it can correct you, that it can train you in righteousness, so that you're prepared and equipped for every good work. You've got good work to do. The Bible wants to make you a good worker. Notice, I'm not telling you you've got to read the Bible in 90 days. I'm not even saying that you've got to read Leviticus. I'm, I'm just saying get in the text and let the Spirit of God use the Word of God Create a servant of God. That needs to happen to all of us. We can, we will, we will do our best to serve our community in a lot of different ways. But you're going to have to let the Bible make you a servant so that you can effectively serve your community. We are constantly being worked on and shaped by God. But if you aren't if that working and that shaping isn't rooted in the gospel itself and the story itself and the Bible itself, you will be blown wherever the newest and shiniest wind takes you. I know that analogy doesn't work, but I liked it. You you will be blown away by the latest fad. Or the latest thoughts, or the will be taken wherever the most recent person you read takes you, and they're all wrong. We're all wrong. I'm wrong. I've said something in the last year, in which I stood up here and I said it plainly, and it wasn't right. I'll get there. I'll be corrected. I don't know what that is, or I would tell you about it now, but I don't know. But I'm certain it's happened. It's bound to have happened. In, intelligent, well-read scholars are wrong. Walter Brueggemann's wrong about something. N.T. Wright's wrong about something. Joyce Meyer's wrong about something. T.D. Jakes is wrong about a lot of things. I only used him because I got an argument with him on Twitter last week. <laughs> I'm counting that as two points. Got a snort and I got whatever that was. <laughs> we are we are incorrect. And so I'm going to lead you to places that might not be correct intellectually, but hopefully we're doing this humbly and honestly enough that the Bible is going to teach us 
It's going to rebuke us. It's going to correct us. It's going to train us in righteousness. So just, just one, one verse, two verses. If you're see, take, a, take a section in the Gospels and read a section. Just, a, just I've got eight verses here. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem as king. Read that story every day for a week. And let it, let it work on you. Let it teach you. Let it rebuke you. Let it correct you. Let it train you in righteousness so that the Spirit can create a servant who is ready to serve. We talk about faith here. Because the Bible talks to us, talks to us about faith. We talk about belief. Confession, repentance, baptism, because the Bible talks, uh, talks to us about those things. And we talk about Jesus because the, on Jesus is the only thing, on the belief in Jesus is the only reason we go to the Bible that tells us about Jesus in the first place. I think if you were to open your Bible and read it cover to cover, you would be convicted that you need to be in a relationship with Jesus. You need to be united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. That you need to confess him as king. And that if you've done those things, that you need to live a life as his kingdom, in his kingdom, as his subject. If you, if you haven't gone to any of those places, if you've not been united with him in baptism, if you haven't confessed him as king, if you haven't repented of your sins, if, you haven't, if you're not living the life you are called to live now, I think you need to come before your church that loves you and acknowledge exactly what you need, whatever you need. Please come forward while we stand and sing.